I'm Ty Roberts. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Gracenote, and today you've got two of, uh, I guess, the three of us up here. So, Lunder Lady Ann Greenberg is not here, but this is Steve Sheriff. Nice to meet you. And uh, I don't know what you guys know about Gracenote, but Gracenote's been around for a, for a, a long time. Steve started thinking about it with some other guys who were working with him on metadata and information. In what year, Steve? 1995, it all started. Initially, it was a hobby, but, and initially it was probably running, I don't know, what, on a keyboard or something? What was it running on? Running on one computer, maybe. Yeah, uh, we got that slide there, Daniel? It's yeah, where, there we go. It's, it's where it all began. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, is, this is the secret laboratory. This is, yeah, before I was domesticated, my office looks a, a lot better now. But that little blue arrow there points to, that was the master CDDB hub. That's the server that distributed our CDDB data to the entire world, running on a dedicated slip line. Uh, and that was 1996. Whenever people see this picture, they always ask, does any of this stuff still exist? And the answer is yes. Two things still exist. That little stuffed lizard up there on top of the screen, <laughs> which my kid took. And uh, I think I still have the stapler. Oh. And I, I just got rid oh. of the mag light the other day, I think. Wow, that's good, because yeah. you haven't changed the batteries. Okay. Well, so basically, Gracenote started out. Many of you know Gracenote started doing the CD database. Basically, you put a CD into your computer, uh, maybe most popular into iTunes, and it would identify the CD and come up with the song titles. And then when you ripped the tracks onto your computer, it labeled all the tracks with the information that came from the CD database. And that's pretty much what that stuff was doing kind of there. But then lots of people started to use this. In fact, as soon as it got into iTunes, and I guess I'd say at the very beginning of this, Steve, you know, the database, I think originally the one you guys hand-entered or put in through email was like, what, 500 CDs or something? That was about Yeah, I think the, one of the other founders, T-Con, entered his personal collection, which was 300 CDs. That was the beginning. Right. And then that was passed around in the database through email. But the email finally got too large to email. So then you built the server? Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, People would submit their stuff through email, and T would collect it together into a giant bundle, and people would download it via FTP. And it was a little too big to download this giant thing if you only have like a couple hundred CDs, which is what most people have. So uh, T wanted a way for people to actually just be able to access what they needed uh, when they needed it um, through a service, an online service, where your application would look at the disk you currently have in your computer, and it would query this server and get the answer um, one piece at a time. Right, and that was, I think, a very good idea. How many, if we flash forward to today, how many you know, records information or how many files, CDs do we have in the database? Uh, I think we have 14 million records. Right. So mailing that around would have been a challenge. You know, I don't have all 14 million in my collection. I'd like to. I don't. Um, I guess the other thing we want to talk about is, the, so the CD recognition went on through the whole initial first era of iTunes. And really, that CD process of putting a CD in your computer and bringing the tracks into... Uh, the iPod, and then to many companies, we were at that time were working with all the guys making portable devices and players, um, and that fueled the entire digital business because there was no stores, there was no digital. Liquid Audio was the only one that was really kind of around, and there wasn't any actual iTunes store for many years. Yep, it, it was interesting because we were in the right place at the right time. Just when the, the digital music revolution started, I'm not sure it really would have gotten the same kind of momentum, at, at least not at the same time. Because um, without this, you rip your CDs and you end up with track one, track two, track three. You have to type it in yourself. Um, we're, we were there at the right, time, right place at the right time. 
So that's kind of how it started. And then Apple did introduce the store. And then Apple started to think about the fact that people had already ripped a lot of CDs, and so did we. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that was a challenge was that you may have used many different applications. So initially, you know, there wasn't just iTunes. There was Real Networks product, and there was Music Matches product, and I, you know, there was 20 different players out there that so many of them are encoded in RIP CDs. And each one of them had options to tag the files <laughs> in their own way. You know, you could prepend the artist name first and then the song name, or you could do all these different kind of options. And so the metadata was kind of, even though, you know, there was organized metadata in these databases, what got onto the files was kind of messy. And so we started to think about how could we identify files? And so what technology actually enables us to identify files? Yeah, that's uh, what's known as file fingerprinting, audio fingerprinting. Um, so some of you probably know, know what that is. For those who don't, it's basically generating a, a stamp, a fingerprint of a song. Um, so that it can be recognized, much like a CD could be recognized. Um, and there's a million different ways to do it. Um, we started doing it back in about 2001, I think. Right. It was. I mean, one of the things that you should know about Grace now is that we met many interesting people along the way. And in fact, in our journey of Grace Note, there were all these different companies with technology, and pretty much everybody had some kind of crazy music technology would come to us, and we would see it, we would talk to them. And some of the companies, merged with our company. We bought, or the technology came into our company, and one of the companies was this company called Cantometrics. Cantometrics was a company that had file fingerprinting, Maxwell's, and, a few, and they had this idea that they could identify files. But they didn't really have a business that was that good, and we had a business that was good, and so we were able to put these things together, and that became a technology we acquired, and that formed the basis of this first file fingerprinting. That's right. So we acquired that, and we made it work, and made it scalable, and... Uh, employed it in all our products, and it's still in use today, actually. So that file fingerprinting product, what feature, you know, what, okay, so what feature in iTunes uses the file identification? So uh, actually two, two features use that. Um, for those of you who uh, use these, these uh, services, you'll understand right away how they could be useful. Uh, the, the Apple Genius uh, service, which actually gives you recommendations, uses our stuff on the back end to tell Apple what, what music does this user have? It actually runs through your entire collection, looks at uh, all the music there, and sends fingerprints to Grace Note along with some other information. And we use those fingerprints to figure out what you've got, and they use that information to then recommend things to you. Also, the, the iTunes Match service, uh, which lets you upload your music collection to the cloud and stream it or download it to your devices uh, or all your computers. And the Match service uses that in a really interesting way. Um, but I think we can get to that later yeah, when we talk about yeah. skin and match. Yeah. So the, I guess the thing we would talk about that is, is that, all right, so we had this file identification stuff. And there, we'll mention, I'll give a little plug. There's a company, a guy that worked for us who was a uh, sales guy for us, Gabe Adiv. And he spun out and created a company called TuneUp. TuneUp Media has plugins for iTunes that clean up your files. And he focused just on that and on getting the album cover artwork and on, I don't know what other kind of stuff you can hatch the files, but all kinds of stuff. And that, that, uh, business was successful as well. Um, the the next thing that happened, I guess, would be to say that the file fingerprinting then allowed us to link things to the files. So once we could identify file, then we could go, oh, what goes with this file? And that cover art. And uh, I remember the fateful day when we, you know, had this interaction with the fine people at Apple, and they said, uh, you know, we really we really need to get some images. And we were like, why would you need images? The iPod is like LCD display. Like, what's up with that? Uh, we can't tell you. Uh, so we were like, okay, how many images should we get? All of them. 
What yes. images? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's not really. <laughs> Could you define that more clearly? Uh, uh, well, we need all the ones. Don't you just get all the covers for all the things you can identify in the file system? Well, no, actually. We would love to have that. It turns out that's like, a, like an impossible mission for us for the rest of our lives because getting the cover art, because there wasn't like a way to get that. Like users didn't scan them in and send them to us from all over the world. So we actually then realized, oh, we have to go to the record companies who have some of this and archives and others and artists themselves. And we embarked upon a massive jihad to basically get every cover we get our hands on. Uh, and then as well, we also, Apple had the covers that they had in their store. And so now this is kind of a standard part of these players. We poke the covers up to. Yeah, it's, that's actually a key point there is once you've identified the song, you can do pretty much anything you want to do with it. Um, that was something that kind of escaped me and my partners back in 1995. We thought, okay, people want to identify their CDs. So they, when they're playing it on their computer, they can see the names of the songs. And if they want to play a particular one, they know which track to go to. We didn't think forward to the future when there would be MP3 files, et cetera, or people would want cover art. But uh, that's actually what, what Ty figured out. Um, and uh, once you've identified something, you can, you can associate lyrics with it or the cover art or all sorts of things. Um, and cover art is actually one of the, one of the biggest ones. And Apple does use that, uh, that service of ours. So uh, whenever you see cover art, when you, you see iTunes fetching cover art, it's actually using GraceNote to figure that out. Except when it gets it wrong, that's not our fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's somebody else that's in there. It turned out it's actually a really problematic or interesting problem, and I can go off the cover art thing for just a bit, which is, so people have a really good visual memory. So covers, you know, is something that's interesting. Looking at text is actually, you know, because you can probably remember teaching yourself how to read maybe as your kid. I had, you know, watched my kid learn how to read. So tracking and processing and figuring out what the words say actually is very consuming of your brain to actually read. But like you didn't train yourself to identify an image. Like you were born with the ability, I think, probably to look at your you know, parents' face or something. And so the idea essentially is images you can like get like that. And so where that's actually mattered is in the car products that we do. So actually the album covers that are in all the modern cars on the dash of the car typically don't come from the portable player or the iPod. They actually come from an embedded database of cover art that we've put in the car, which we then in the car do this fingerprinting and link back up. It's, it's incredible that we had, I don't know how, 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 that, how that happened, but. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, so. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> Is there a present over here? <laughs> how, how many databases can we actually make? It would have been good if we could have figured out how to have a standardized offering, but we make individual databases because cars go to different regions of the world, and this car has these features, and that's not the only thing that's in there. There's all kinds of stuff in there. There's speech information to make the songs. It's a massive mega operation to do this and, uh, uh, and, and keep them all up to date, and da da da, da. But we've, we've got this down, and the reality is, like, if you go buy a new car today, not only will that database be in there, some kind of connected version of that database, but our logo's on the dash of the car, which is an amazing achievement. It's like, it says Dolby, and then DTS, and then it says Grace Note on the dash. Um, and uh, my friends recently, the new models of cars that's like really there, have been sending me photos of this. I've been amazed, you know, all over all of the world saying, dude, I bought a car, and your thing is in there. <laughs> yeah, I was amazed when I bought my car. I bought it because I wanted it to have Grace Note technology in there, so I... You know, checked it out. This is the perfect car, but does it have Grace Notes technology in it? And the dealer had no idea. So I went and plugged my iPod into it and watched it go, okay, yes, works. And then I, I bought the car, had it for like a month before I realized there was a tiny little Grace Note logo on the dashboard. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> All I had to do was look at that. But yeah, we actually uh, distill our database. You know, we, like we were saying, we have about 14 million titles in the database. We don't fit all those into a car. Um, we could, I don't think the car manufacturers want to dedicate that much space to it. So they, they tell us to distill it down and we, we do it based on the, uh, the market it's being sold into. So as you can imagine, in the Japanese market, it's a different set of albums than in the North American market. So we pick the most valuable, important, popular ones, stick it in there uh, along with other information. Uh, besides just the titles, like Ty was saying, cover art, et cetera, can be in there. Actually, we're, we're going to talk about next about, so, okay, we got the covers now, and then this thing called cover flow happens, and everyone goes, oh, wow, artwork for albums. I didn't even know there was artwork. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have a 12-year-old son, but at the time, he asked me, so where did those pictures come from, and how did they pick the ones that go with the albums, yeah. you know? It's like... <laughs> I'm like, they make them. And this is a record player. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. He's also told me that with, with LPs, he said, those really big black CDs, those ones. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. All right. Um, anyways, uh, the next thing we kind of tried to do is realize that we didn't really, we had information on, on, on albums, and we had the genre of music, but it'd be like Led Zeppelin IV. It's, I don't know what, rock music, you know. We have better out genres than that, but we didn't really have track level information. We built the database to do it, but we didn't really. Yeah, we we built our database initially off crowdsourcing mostly. Where you know we entered, like Ty said, you know the first few hundred of these things, and then the users actually would submit things if we didn't have them in our database, and we'd compile those. And we still do that today, actually. Um, but that's all based on CDs. So uh, people will send us information for a CD, a whole CD at a time, or when they, if it's not, you know, if they're not submitting something, they're, they're just looking it up. They're looking it up for a whole CD at a time, and we don't know which song they wanted to play or which three songs they cared about. So the information that we've got, popularity, things like that, are all at the album level, which is an issue. Um, so we came up with some additional technology for that. So around the, around the time of, uh, you know, I guess maybe in the early uh, 2000s, wherever we like, we're, like we're saying, we're looking for fingerprinting technology, and there were lots of different people with ideas in fingerprinting. And I started to, uh, uh, you know, go around the world and meet some of these people. And at this time, we started interacting with some companies in Europe because we finally, you know, we had like, I mean, we were a small company, we we're like 20 people, but we could afford to buy a coach ticket to Europe. We couldn't afford much beyond that, but we could get to Europe and land over there. So I might get, go to a conference to speak, and I would be on a panel with somebody. And eventually, I met this guy from Philips. You know, and Philips. You know, I knew Philips as a big electronics company, and you know, they made the CD. You know, they created light bulbs. And uh, this guy, Tom Kalker, is on this panel, and he's like an insanely brilliant mathematician. And he says, you know, I have this fingerprinting thing. You know, and. And so I was like, uh, what do you mean? What, is the, what does this thing do? And he's like, it identifies songs by the sound. And I said, you mean, you know, you do what with it? Well, you go into a bar and there's sound playing in there and you hold up your phone and it tells you what the song is. I said, wow, that's cool. Why don't, you, uh, why, don't you, why don't you talk to me about that? He said, well, why don't you come to, you know, the Netherlands and come out to Eindhoven and see what this thing is about. And... Uh, we get out there, and these guys have the server, and they, they're like researcher guys in you know, the Netherlands. It's really cool. Um, but the level of system engineering <laughs> it was, it was like that picture, kind of like that. 
And by this point, we are like, m- even though we are still a small company, we're already in a mega scale, you know, in terms of stuff. Steve has built all this incredible technology. And this is the system engine. This is like one of the best system engine in the world. And, we're, and we were like, well, can we help you with that? They were like, nope. It's all our software. We are going to give you these things. And it's so secure, we're going to make you have these dongles. Do you remember the dongles? I can't forget the dongles. <laughs> so it's like a DRM computer, okay, where you plug this thing in. We would lose it. We'd have the wrong one, the wrong computer. The dongles tortured us extensively for years. But we took this technology and we sold it to cell phone companies to build their software. One of them was Sony Ericsson, put this into the... Sony actually a built-in feature, identify the track in the phone. And yes, there's another company, Shazam, I'm sure many of you guys know about that. They were a competitor. And so this idea kind of taking off and people wanted to do this. Um, eventually, the Philips guys were like, okay, clearly we're not software engineers. And uh, would you guys like to take this technology off our hands and can we invest it in your company, get some stock in your company, the Big Philips? And we're like, well, you, the Big Philips, want to have stock in our little grace note? Yes. And then I handed Steve this pile of junk, essentially. And what did you do then? We rebuilt it from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot faster, a lot more robust, but it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a sound algorithm, what they came up with, and it's at the basis of our uh, mobile music recognition product today, um, as well as our ACR product, which we'll talk about a little later, I think. I, I think somebody recently found one of those dongles. We actually have one. We've we need got, to memorialize that. We I think we have a lot that. of those things. <laughs> we need to put that away somewhere. We got rid of the dongles, too. Yes. Yeah. So that that service, just to give an idea, you know, you know, how many, what kind of, what kind of, you know, usage does that something like that have? Um, I think we were up to about uh, two million a day, two million recognitions a day, which actually, by Grace Note standards, is pretty small. Um, to put it in perspective, for all of our other services together, we do about half a billion transactions a day. Um, but this, it's a different beast. Uh, when you hold a cell phone up to uh, you know, a, a PA system or, you know, uh, speakers in a coffee shop. There's a lot of background noise. There's uh, interference. You've got a terrible microphone on your cell phone, et cetera. Um, it doesn't, you know, pick up a very wide, wide bandwidth of sound. Um, the algorithm has to be very robust, very strong, and uh, have a lot of redundant information in it. So those fingerprints are quite different from the file ones we talked about earlier. Um, so when you do a recognition by holding up your cell phone, listens to a few seconds of the song, send us this big fingerprint, and we have a giant bank of servers. We have hundreds of servers in the background um, actually crunching on this, each crunching on a little piece of the problem. Um, so it, it, you know, we do about two million a day, and that consumes hundreds of servers to do that. So it's actually very different from the rest of our services. The main thing with file recognition is that songs start at the beginning of the song. So right. for the file, <laughs> you can just go to the beginning and go, is this the beginning of the song, or is it a different beginning of the song? But with this stuff, there can be any piece you can get. You can get the right. last second of Stairway to Heaven, and we just have to know what it is. We actually, for files, we fingerprint the first 15 seconds or so of the song. Um, and so you only have to keep fingerprints for that first part of the song. If the song is 30 minutes long, it doesn't matter. Um, you're only listening to that piece of it. But like I was saying, if you hear a song in, in a coffee shop, you're somewhere in the middle of that song. It could be anywhere, so we have to keep the fingerprint for the entire thing. And these are big fingerprints. Um, so it adds up. It's a very complex service to have. So that, that was a good thing. And actually, eventually, and it, was, it led to an R&D partnership with Philips. We got, you know, now I had the, almost like the resources of Philips R&D department, which was incredible, and Eindhoven, and, and had all these really smart guys. And these guys were cranking away on all kinds of advanced music technology. 
And also, we now we had a reason to be going to Europe. We had business there with a mobile phone company, with Sonny Erickson. So we were going back and forth. And eventually, I was at one of these conferences, and I met this this guy, this bearded guy, who was really, really nerdy, Carl Heinz Brandenburg. He's the inventor of the MP3 uh, from the Fraunhofer Institute. And uh, he's sitting next to me at the panel, and I'm talking about this Philips thing. And he's like, you know, I have some people in Germany that know something about the audio. And... Uh, so uh, I said, okay, what, what do you have? He says, I have an entire laboratory. I'm the creator of MT3. All right, great, I'll go there. <laughs> so I go to, I mean, I go to Eastern Germany, formerly Eastern Germany, where their laboratory is. And there is an amazing team of guys, amazing team of guys making every crazy thing for music technology there. It's half funded by the German government. It's part of a giant university program. And uh, the guy who runs R&D lab in our company, Marcus Kramer, I meet him. He's like the first guy that comes out there. And uh, the coolest thing that happened on the trip, I want us to say this, is I land in Germany at the Frankfurt airport. I had to drive for like two hours or three hours to get there. And I drove very fast because I land, the guy says, oh, we have no small cars. You will have to take this 12-cylinder Mercedes. And it was the most awesome 12-cylinder Mercedes. It was unbelievable. And the language was set to German. I didn't know how to change the language, but it kept going. When it would go to, like, I was driving so fast, it would, like, tell me, you know, 300 meters, 200 meters, 100 meters. You know, and then when he would, like, turn, you know, off. And I got off the road. When I got there, all the, all the front-offer guys came out to see the car. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how my meeting started with them. They were all looking under the hood. They were like, oh, this is an awesome car. So anyways, I went inside, and they were showing me technology that essentially analyzed the sounds of the songs and came up with information in them, like the chord progression, the instrumentation, the tempo, this, these kind of things. So we started to think about actually having a machine listening program that could process the songs and get us stuff. And that's, that's the basis of uh, our song-based popularity and, and et cetera. So a lot of the products, you know, we were talking about the problem in our products where we only know popularity for a CD uh, as a whole, not for tracks, and this mood and tempo technology allows us to actually figure things out on a track level. So if you want to, say, generate a playlist automatically um, based on you know the song you're playing right now, um, if we didn't have that information, we would just random. We could maybe pick a random song from a popular CD or a CD that you like. But now we can actually figure out which songs are like the one you're listening to, ones that have a similar mood or are about the same tempo or you know, nearby, or you could ask for a song that's completely different. Excuse me. Um, so uh, it's all done uh, programmatically. Yeah, I mean, uh, so this, you know, I mean, I think people now have used services or systems like Pandora, and it generates playlists for you. But playlisting, I mean, we've been out talking about this for so long. Playlisting is an art. You know, it's like when you have a DJ, the whole idea of how you string the songs together is very interesting. And in fact, the one thing you don't want to do with our technology is play every song that sounds exactly like the song before it. That's the absolute opposite of what you want to do because like people just go asleep or crash their car and they'll just go off the road. <laughs> so what you want to do is actually play, play, it's like a live event, a live concert. It has an arc, you know, okay, we're gonna start out big and then we're gonna go small and then we're gonna go over here and we're gonna speed it up and we're gonna slow it down and we're gonna go to this genre and, that, and that's artful playlisting. And some of the products today are using this. I won't, I won't uh, get into it. Some are coming from some very big companies that are starting to do playlisting that's very, very intelligent and using these kind of next-level attributes. Um, so I'm excited about that. Today, it's still a lot of information that was maybe done editorial. That's how Pandora does it. But the machine listening algorithms are on the march, and they're coming. Um, 
How many things do we have? So one thing I should say about this is we started to also take feeds from record companies and different kind of partners. And Stephen White, who's over here as our president, he used to run the group that had to handle all these feeds. So initially we were like, oh, there's only like eight record companies. It's no problem. I don't know how many we have now. 3,200, okay, people sending us files and feeding us stuff and all kinds of, but at the time that they feed us stuff, we actually give them a tool and it fingerprints the songs and it gives us the metadata and it gives us the cover art if they got it. And then it also does the machine listing algorithm and it derives these attributes. And we actually derive uh, a lot of attributes and then we roll up that information kind of into this mood and tempo. On top of that, that doesn't get you everything as you, as you can probably guess. Um, there's lots of stuff we don't have. There's 3,200 that we're getting. Clearly, there's a lot. We're probably missing some. And we are. There's a lot of even smaller labels. There's a lot of garage bands, um, a lot of custom things that you just aren't going to get this way. So actually, uh, our users in the field are um, generating fingerprints for us as well, um, you know, using various applications like iTunes. It will actually ask Grace Note, hey, they're ripping this song right now. Um, do you have uh, the fingerprint for this, or do you have the mood and tempo for this? And Gracenote will tell it yes or no. If Gracenote says, no, I don't have that, it'll actually generate it on the, on the fly and give it to Gracenote. Um, so we actually have fingerprints for pretty much anything you can imagine. And we had this issue with that, which was the, the automatic gathering, which is it's very important that it asks us for this, because otherwise it would send like 10 million Britney Spears fingerprints would come per second. It would be like a denial of service attack on our own service. <laughs> so the first thing it does is says, do you need anything? And most of the time we say, no. <laughs> but every now and then, there's something new that we haven't seen before, and that's what gets, gets collected, as Steve says. Um, very sophisticated system, the work order system. Work orders. Yeah. Exactly. So... Uh, all right, well then, you know, kind of we got basically the, the next thing I want to talk about is the scan and match. So, all right, we fast forward, I don't know, 100 million internet years, and um, lo and behold, people have invented the, the, the idea of a locker, you know, locker in the cloud. What is a locker in the cloud? Well, the locker in the cloud is a place you can have music, and then you could be anywhere on any device, and you could stream it, and you could listen to it. Um, there's only one problem, which is that n copying the music up to the locker is actually takes a long time. Yeah, I don't know if any of you guys have used the match service, but it, some people have complained it takes a while. Um, sometimes, uh, depending, you know, how fast your internet connection is, how much music you've got, but uh, it could be a lot worse. In fact, in the olden days, before the, our match service came along, um, it would take a really long time because think about that: how much music you've got. If you have like 60 gigabytes, um, it could take all day. It could take days. Um, in fact, some people we've that have tested this stuff with you know uh, very eclectic music collections end up taking days. Um, and uh, uh, this this technology actually allows them to decide figure out wh hey wh which songs in this user's collection are actually already in the cloud for one reason or another, um, and it actually uh, will not upload those songs. Um, so the, the match service actually can figure this out and say upload only one tenth of your songs, and it's Ten times faster, right? But it had to be, you know, it had to be somewhat secure. Basically, uh, the 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 idea was like not just to look at the first twelve seconds. What does this do? Yeah, the the uh, you have to avoid uh, things like people trying to pretend they have music that they really don't. So, you know, let's say someone was going to create a fake collection of songs by, you know, going to Amazon, you know, listening to a little sound clip the first 30 seconds and then putting that on their hard drive and telling the match service, okay, you know, identify my collection now. Um, if we didn't look at the entire song, um, they could get away with that. Uh, but what our service does is it actually looks at the entire length of the song from beginning to end 
and with a very fine-grained fingerprint, which is actually based on that Philips technology uh, Ty talked about. Um, but uh, it's, it's actually been scaled down uh, a bit to be used for files instead of uh, cell phones. And uh, it'll actually send the fingerprint up to us, and we'll be able to tell if that song is exactly the same, uh, bit for bit, uh, or almost bit for bit, from beginning to end. And it's even fine-grained enough so that we can tell the difference between two versions of the same song, where the only difference is one is the clean and one's the explicit version, where you might have for a fraction of a second a profane word played backwards or bleeped out. Um, we can actually tell the difference. We do, you know, recognize the word duck, for example. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, uh, that scan and match service, um, uh, these guys turned on at Apple, and it's really popular. And what was interesting about that, I think, is a, the business case there, which is, you know, long ago, you know, in talking and working closely with record companies, we would say, you know, people have a lot of music. They have a lot of files. And they were like, oh, they're just going to subscribe to a streaming service and just have streaming service. And we we're like, no, there are a lot of people with a lot of files. They, and some of those files are not in the streaming service. It turns out people have a lot of music just from the bar band on the street they liked or the wedding band that played at their wedding. Or what, and all that stuff sometimes isn't, isn't out there, and they want that. So these guys turned on this thing, and it turned out to be massively popular. Um, and really what's going on there, if you think about it, is people are paying, I don't know what, a storage fee, let's call it that, $29 or whatever, or whatever it is, depending on how much you have. And they're paying to store the files that they already have, that they already own, or that they've obtained, and they are now in the locker. And now you've got people using the cloud, A, and with their files. And that created kind of a whole new tier between a full subscription service and a file per download business. And now, well, you know, I guess we can say this. We've, we've done this for other companies besides Apple. Um, who is that? It's, that would be Amazon, and there's others in the pipe. Yeah. Um, the, the, the key that makes it so, so valuable to these guys is, is it makes the user experience a lot better than just uploading everything um, because it saves the user time, uh, a ton of time, depending how common your music is. It, if it has to be in Apple's catalog, for example, if you're using the Apple service. There's a lot of songs they don't have. Like, let's say, that I don't think they have ACDC. Right. Um, but uh, a lot of people have that in their collection. So if, if we don't find that song in their, in their catalog, it, it will actually literally get uploaded the first time. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the songs that do get recognized, Apple doesn't have to upload them, saves the user time. But also, it means Apple doesn't have to store that song in their cloud because they know they've already got it in their own catalog. So, if you have, you know, Led Zeppelin "Stairway to Heaven," which they do have in their their catalog, um, it'll our service will tell them this is "Stairway to Heaven." That song one, two, three, four in your catalog, Apple. You don't have to upload the song, so they won't. And when the user plays that song on their iPhone or their, one of their other devices and it gets streamed to the phone, it's actually not coming from some cloud storage somewhere. It's coming from Apple's store. Um, it's coming from the copy of the song they've actually got. Um, and the user generally, I mean, unless you were like a guy who ripped in WAV files, which I have some, but gets an upgrade because the files that you stream back, if you have the bandwidth, can be, I think, up, I don't know, what, yeah. up at least like 192 AC or what, I don't know what yeah, it is. It's, yeah, 256. So for the, for the typical yeah. user, it's an upgrade. If you've had some really crappy copy of it, um, it's going to be a nice, clean copy. Right. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, maybe covers the, the scan and match. Anything else there that we didn't cover? No, that's, no that's, okay, that okay. sums right. it up. All right, so let, what I thought we'd do now, we're going to have some questions after this, but we'll talk about just the, 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 the future now, which is, okay, so Grace Note Music, we did all this music stuff. 
But we started to think, wow, video, you know, what is that whole video thing? And the first thing we thought, well, we're going to build a catalog of every DVD in the world. This is Stephen White's favorite project. Um, <laughs> and of course, all these things seem simple. You know, there's only, how many, how many DVDs could there be? Holy shit, there's a lot. Um, and so we, we, and of course, you know, we thought, oh, you know, no problem, we'll, we'll get these from, we would go and buy like video rental stores that go out of business, we'd buy their whole library, like that kind of stuff. But then we found out that they like modify the covers, they write on them, Bob's picks, you know, like stuff like that. And we like, it was a nightmare, like just trying to, you know, get access to these things. So we ended up doing deals with studios. Could we get discounted discs? Could we get them from Europe? I don't know. So in places around the world, discs came from all over the place. And we typed in the stuff like Mad Men. We typed in the credits. We typed in everything else. And we started to build up information on movies. And, uh, and then, you know, about the 2008 time frame, you know, one of our biggest customers, which was Sony, bought our company. So Steve and I and all of us joined the Sony Corporation. And... The Sony Corporation said, hey, we have this thing. It's a, it's a TV guide stuff for TVs, and it has information on TV programs. So then we thought it was a really good idea to have all this information on TV programs. It turns out, Jesus Christ, there's a ton of TV programs. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all over the world, and they're all in different languages. So we ended up having you know, guide information and movie information, and we started to think, maybe there's something we could do with fingerprinting and TVs. And so what do we do with fingerprinting TVs? It's kind of a new thing. It's just coming out now. Second screen. I'm, I don't know if you guys have heard that term before, but uh, if you sit there in front of your TV and you play with your iPad, it'd be nice if they were in sync, perhaps, uh, you, if you could use them for uh, you know, synchronous activities. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen, a, I don't know, we can use this example. The, the Conan O'Brien app has won an Emmy Award. Um, that doesn't use our technology but it should because it doesn't work that well. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's but, a really uh, funny application to use. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when you can get it to work, it's actually kind of cool. It's a good example. But uh, try, try this uh, when you all get home. Whip out your iPads. Go, go download the Sci-Fi uh, ACR application. I forget. What, what is it called? Sci-Fi? Uh, sorry? Face-off. Yeah, Face-off, face yes. And uh, it uses the Grace Note technology. You're watching this, the show Face-Off. And as they show the contestants doing things on the iPad, it's showing you alternate views of what they're doing. Uh, it lets you take uh, surveys. You can actually vote for the person you think should win. And uh, all these little things are popping up on the screen as the show plays. And how does that work? It's actually listening to your TV. Your iPad is actually listening. And it talks to the Grace Note service, sends us a fingerprint, much like that Philips fingerprint we were talking about. In fact, it's exactly the same. Right. So um, this time we had to be robust to babies crying and dogs barking. It's, it's, it's tough because your, your iPad is 10 feet away from your speakers. The TV's not on very loud um, uh, so you don't wake up the baby and uh, your dog is barking. And it, it actually can deal with all that. Listen to the TV. Send us a fingerprint. We can figure out, uh, what, hey, he's watching Face Off. And he's at 10 minutes, 20 seconds, and you know, 30 milliseconds into the show. It's time to show him these, these alternate views or it's time to pop up the, the, uh, the quiz. Um, and uh, it gives you an interactive experience while you watch the show. Um, and and it's, it's actually really amazing technology, works really well. It's right. interesting stuff. So, you know, here we thought, and, when, and quite honestly, even though we say this is the future for us, it takes years of grace note to make these things. So actually, we had this idea, the concept of the idea. I think we called it ISIS. This is like, I don't know, yeah. three years ago. I don't know how long ago it is. 
And like, you know, I go down to Hollywood today and like every single company is making an application with this kind of, you know, we have to have a second screen app for our science fiction show for, you know, all the different TV shows. And so you won't be able to get away from this. Like literally every single TV program is going to have some kind of synchronized, yeah. synchronized program. And people are doing all kinds of incredible ideas for this, which, and, you know, it's worth just saying a couple of them. Like, you know, you can see like the, it's a, you know, it's a movie and it's a thriller, you know, and the character is about to attack somebody and they're behind the door. Well, you can look behind the door. Okay. Or there's even one I saw down there. It was one of the ones that was nominated for an Emmy where it actually calls you. The TV program calls your cell phone. And you pick up your cell phone and when you answer, it leaves you a message about what's about to happen. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's totally unbelievable. I mean, you know, once, you know, you give, I mean, generally speaking, we haven't really given our tools yet to, to musicians beyond getting their information. But now we're creating a creative tool for lunatics in Hollywood to think of every kind of crazy thing they can think of. And beyond that, which is the, the idea, if you can imagine this, of using your phone in a theater. Okay, so there's a new idea, okay, which we are involved with, which is called a dark screen application. What does this mean? You're in a theater and the screen is dark, okay? That's a good thing because you're not disrupting the people next to you. But what's running is our fingerprinting. And what you can actually do in the theater is when something's on the screen, you just touch your phone and it captures something about that. And then later when you leave the theater, there's information in your phone about the things that you thought were interesting in the movie. So just these ideas of basically making the phone. And so this kind of stuff is coming. Um, it's not yet mainstream. The one thing that's an issue with this is, you know, kids take the phones. Kids won't go to movies now because they have to go offline. So they're trying to figure out how to not have kids waiting outside on the text, how to get them into the films. Um, okay. Well, I think that we should just see if there's any questions. Um, we got some questions over here. All right. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll go with that guy back there. Yeah, is there, is there a, a mic microphone on the side? If you could go to that. This is brief, I'll be loud. Okay. Oh, well. <laughs> so, so can you repeat the question? So okay, then repeat the question. The he was asking service. about your lyric service. So when we were talking about linking cover art to to music, we there are many things that we want to link. Okay, and we didn't have time to cover all these today. But one of them, one of the great things that went off, we were like, hey. Lyrics, that's a cool thing. And we should go work on these lyrics. You know, okay, can grace us that. Let's get all the lyrics. That's easy. It's no problem. Wow. There's a lot of lyrics. <laughs> so, so that one, what, 500 licensing deals we had to do to make that happen? Andrew, this guy. See, that guy there? You're looking like you're a little tired. 400 plus. <laughs> he just did 100 deals in the last... Yeah, 100 deals in the last 10 so minutes. It, it's, it's a lot like, like music, uh, the, the actual audio. Yeah, right. you, you have to go to hundreds of different companies and get to license them. It was not fun. Yes. Well, I reverse some get Mr. Mr. Pierce here, one of the top publishers here, who literally helped us establish the model for how to do the lyrics licensing. And you're kind of like my lyrics Yoda, you know. Uh, and he told me you have created a very big challenge for yourself. He said there's like individual owners and families and people all over the world and there are people who have the information and want to share it with you and it just was a really, really challenging thing. And we had some really great partners who are around the world now who work with us on the lyrics and have their own apps and products and it's becoming something that's actually uh, working. It's, but it's taken us years. This business was really hard and really didn't make, in, frankly, any money. It was, a, it was not a good business. Um, it's just now starting to turn the corner a little bit because of the fact that people w are wanting to see the lyrics, you know, like we talked about the fingerprinting, you hold the application up and it doesn't just tell you what the song is, it shows you the lyrics. And that feature is what actually people 
like. So we always thought of it's get the song title and buy it, but it's really get the lyrics. That's actually an application. I'd recommend downloading, go to the, uh, if you have an iPhone, go to the Apple iTunes store, download the uh, Music ID 2 application. Uh, uses GraceNote technology. Um, I think there's a free version, right? Yeah. Now there's a free version. Um, it, you, you can hold the phone up, have it listen. It'll identify the song. It'll show you the cover art. It will uh, has a little button for lyrics, so you can go see the lyrics. Uh, it has biography information on the artist. It's, it, it's a good showcase for all the stuff that you can do with the GraceNote technology and all the linking technology we've got. Uh, it's really fun to play with. Yeah, and, I, and uh, the other thing we didn't talk about as well is we vastly expanded the cover art into now artist images and if you go into TV and movies it's all the cast and people want to see Sean Connery people want to see what the artists look like and and you know part of music is the visual represent you know artists put a lot of time into their look and the feel of their their thing their show and what they do it's a show and so being able to see something that's about how they look and feel is very important and that's another big feature that people use our linking technology for um, okay question from the young lady here <laughs> That's that. So your car has. I, I actually I happen to have an Acura with Chrysler technology in it, um, and uh, uh, what it does is at this. How new is it? Uh, 2013. 2013. They may have added some new stuff in, but the one I have is 2010. Um, it does the CD recognition. So you stick a CD in there. Uh, yes, it actually has a slot for a CD, um, and it will recognize the CD. It will uh, spin it up, and it'll look at the identifying information on there which I didn't talk about much, but it's, there's, there's, the text is not on the CD, the cover art's not on the CD, there's nothing on there that really identifies the CD except a series of numbers that tells the CD player, song one starts here, song two starts here, song three starts here, and those numbers tend to be pretty unique. Um, so we actually use those, we have a, a heuristic that goes through our entire database and tries to find uh, a record that has the, the same or very similar numbers and that's how our online service works. So we took that and we distilled it down so that the same algorithm runs inside your car stereo. Um, and it actually has a little database on the hard drive, which is in the, in the trunk of the car, which has all your maps and stuff on it too, but it has a grace note database. You stick your CD in there, it actually will recognize that CD and pop up the, the names of the songs and all that stuff. And uh, the Acura also then will rip your CD at that point in time and store it on the hard drive in the trunk. So then you can take the CD out, put it in the closet, and never put it in your car again. So you can, every time you play it, uh, you want to play the song, it's there, and you'll see the names of the, of the songs on the screen. Her, her car also has the features we've added since your car. So basically now it scans your I iPhone, and it basically identifies all the songs on there. And then it associates the data with, with genre information and with information you can use to playlist the songs while you're on your iPhone, as well as you can speak the songs, and it knows how to deal with nicknames for artists. You don't have to say, you can say play Fitty, and it's going to figure that out. Um, so we work with Nuance, who's our partner on the speech recognition part, and it does that. The one thing I, I want to say for Steve Benefit here, which is, this is the god of internet services, and I went to Japan, and I met with this ca crazy car guy, Pioneer Electronics, and the guy said, so why don't you take your internet database and put it inside this car? And I was like, okay, great. How does it connect to the internet? And this is like many years ago. It doesn't connect to the internet. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, no, cars are offline. I was like, oh, right, cars are offline. Great. All right, so you have a memory stick. Nope. It has to be inside the car stereo, inside there. And so I was like, I was like okay. Um, and he's like, I said, well, how many of these things do you order? He said, millions. I said, okay, we'll figure that out. 
I came back, and uh, and I go to Steve, and we had this like meeting with Mickey and Steve, and Steve, Mickey and I said, okay, so all we got to do is take the whole server thing that you do, Steve, and we just put it inside this little car stereo, and these guys looked at me like, are you crazy? Like well, that thing's probably like a watch. Like what's inside that thing, you know? And we actually. It'll run on almost anything, actually. We actually were able we, to do it. I think we've done it on 16-bit processors, even. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So, and that, by the way, has turned into a really good business for Racetown and an opportunity to work with the car guys. And now the car guys on all these network services and, it, you know, we now are in almost every car. And it's, uh, so that, that is uh, that business. And it's um, real, well, Stephen moderated a panel this morning with GM on it. And car guys are now, if you can imagine this, that was done. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I don't know, 2004 on 2001. Yes, 2000. All right. Wow. Okay. This year, we were on your Steve's and the guy said, the car is now online. Okay. And obviously, they have Pandora in there. And it's been around for a couple of years. Cars have had this feature. But it's just now kind of getting out of them top-end cars into the mass market of cars. And so now cars are online. And we're going to probably we'll have to think of something new for that. I don't know. We'll have to have to come up with some ideas. Okay, one more question. I think we got more time for more. But okay, uh, way back there. Yeah, absolutely. I love to talk about that. I can talk Re about it all day. Repeat the um, question, though. So yeah, I'll repeat the question. So um, he he asked. Uh, you know, we started with that one computer up on the screen there, and we've scaled up to obviously something much larger that can handle. Actually, it can handle billions a day. Um, uh, how did we? How, how did that progression happen? How how did the technology evolve? Um, Actually, in that picture, that, that was, I, I didn't really explain it in full detail. That was actually the, the master server for the, the CDDB service back in those days. We actually had 40 servers distributed around the world, uh, mostly people donating servers uh, that said, hey, I, you can run a server on my computer um, if you want. And we said, thanks. And we collected all those together and loaded our service on all those things. That little computer in my house um, actually distributed the data to all 40 of these sites. So actually, even in those days, we were very scalable. If we wanted to, we could have had a, a million computers uh, doing this, but at the time, we only needed 40. Um, so over the years, we've actually brought that in into our own infrastructure to make it more robust and so we can actually control the quality. Um, and at this, at this point, aside from the mobile service that, that we talked about that has hundreds of servers, everything else we do, it runs on 15 servers. So we actually serve half a billion queries off 15 servers with lots of room to spare. And the way we did that was by revising the software multiple times over and over again and optimizing. And that's what I spent most of my days doing for years and my team now does. Um, so uh, currently we run out of three different co-location facilities, three data centers uh, around the United States, uh, two of them in California, one in Las Vegas, and uh, they're completely identical. Uh, we can lose two of the sites and have one of them up, and users will never know the difference. Um, even and it has happened. And it has happened. And we had a backhoe once take out like the main internet line. That was a bad day. Or, or you know, <laughs> all these data centers aren't perfect. Sometimes they have power problems or right. network problems or whatever. So, so we have you know triple redundancy there. Our goal is to have. My goal is to have triple redundancy plus one, but the minimum is is double redundancy plus one. So we can actually take things offline and still have triple redundancy. So we can take something offline, have triple redundancy, something can fail, we still have double redundancy. Um, so we actually can scale, we can scale pretty much linearly sideways just by adding more servers at any time. And it, it you know takes like an hour or something to, to install a new server if we need it. So it, it's actually 
very scalable, very robust. And it's, the funny thing is it's really not all that different from what we had back in 1995, because the concepts are pretty common to, to large scalable services. You want lots of servers that are all identical. Um, so it's really easy to add more, or you know, if you lose some, no one cares, because they all do exactly the same thing. You should talk a little bit about that, the server itself. So the servers are a little different. These are like not unbeefy servers. They're, they're, they're beefy servers, but you know, anybody could go buy one if they wanted to. It's, they're not, these aren't supercomputers. We actually, uh, our, our database is actually designed at this point to fit onto one computer. So we could actually lose all of our servers except for one and run off that one. And that has actually happened at, from time, you know, like maybe twice um, where something really ugly happened, but we had a server running still and no one even noticed. Um, so the entire database fits on the server. Uh, the, the servers have like what's 96 gigabytes of RAM, um, and so they can load most of the data into memory at any one time, which is why they're so fast. They're why they're so fast. They're just your standard Xeon servers, 12 yeah. cores, and yeah. uh, you know a terabyte of storage, which they don't use all of that. Um, but they don't hit the disk. Everything's in RAM. Mostly, yeah. Um, so it's almost all in RAM. Uh, we're actually trying to get to the point where everything is completely in RAM. Uh, but the risk there is if we add new services uh, and we, we've sized the machines for a certain amount of space, uh, suddenly there's not enough space anymore. So you kind of have to have disk backing to, for safety's sake. Right. Uh, and, and also, for if the server crashes and it's all in RAM, then you lose. Um, it's got to be on the disk as well. So uh, it's a complex problem to keep everything in RAM, but still the disk has to, has to be backing for everything all the time. Um, but it's actually very sophisticated. I could talk about it all day, so stop me if I'm, if I, I mean, well, one thing I can, if I'm going I can on, give you some some chops. So first of all, um, the the platform that's running in there is entirely of your own design. It's a yes. It's a essentially a custom C program that's probably the most efficient thing on the planet. So we we are complete control freaks. Um, when you hear about no. <laughs> other services going down uh, because they had problems with their database or they had problems with this, problems with that. Um, we do not want to be dependent on third-party software. So if there's a bug in some third-party software that's built into our service, we have to get those guys to fix it for us. They don't have the same priority we do. Our priority is you get that thing up right now because our service doesn't go down. So to do that, we have to actually have complete control over everything. So we've actually built every single piece of the system from the web server to the communications to, of course, all the custom recognition logic. Um, to uh, you know, basically everything except the core storage database, which is uh, Ber called Berkeley DB. Some of you may have heard of that. We're actually going to replace that with something that we're writing because it has bugs and it really bothers us. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it, it's a we, we got to do it. We got to do it. it it's, um, it, you know, it's great, it's great software, but it, you know, Graysonote has particular needs. We know exactly what we want, so we build our software to, to order. It's all written in straight C, so it's completely portable. If we run today on Linux servers. Uh, six months ago, we were running on Solaris, but it turned out that Linux was better for what we needed today. Tomorrow, if we need to go back to Solaris, we can, or we can run on, we can run on any, any uh, POSIX platform we want to. Um, so that we have uh, a lot of control over things uh, that way. So uh, it's very, very interesting uh, piece of software. Okay. Well, I think I think what are we done? Oh, we have five. Okay, we, we have, have five minutes. We have a question back there. Go ahead. Um, it's actually a very interesting thing, but this is kind of a different, <laughs> very different than recordings. Can you repeat the question. Oh, let me repeat the question. How's the authoring tool chain work for the second screen experience? Okay. 
And so what's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that, that in our previous life, we primarily dealt with recordings. And inherently, we don't do live music. We don't have it. We actually, something we're working on the R&D lab is how to recognize live music. But we don't have that today. So we only deal with recordings, which means things are fixed. Things are of a, of a fixed nature. You know, the recording's done. It goes in the database. and gets out in the world. People listen to it. Okay, TV. Whoa, TV is live. There is live TV. Conan O'Brien is live somewhere and recorded other places. Or maybe it's all recorded. I don't know. But generally, there's live TV and whatever. So... That is a whole different thing. What we need then is a real-time database. So very quickly explain yes. how this real-time database works. So this, this is fun stuff, too. I've only got three minutes. But well, I'll, I'll, sque fast. I'll squeeze it in. So uh, uh, what we've actually done is we've created listening stations that sit around the world in various places, uh, tuning into TV channels and generating fingerprints in real time. So that they're actually watching TV, generating audio fingerprints, sending them to our service. Our service ingests them uh, in, uh, I think we timed it at uh, 25 milliseconds, something like that. So basically, blink of an eye after it airs, we have that fingerprint. So we have all, you know, 150, 160 channels right now. Mm -hmm. uh, every, we have fingerprints for all the, all the content on those channels. So an application can actually listen to the TV, send a query to GraceNote, and because of our, we have the TV listings as well, um, without them having done any work like authoring any content of any kind, we can actually tell the application, you're watching, uh, I don't know, you're watching Star Trek episode 35 at 10 minutes and 30 seconds into the show. Um, and there's all sorts of things you can there's do. There's a triple on the screen. Bunch of stuff you can do with that information. <laughs> um, so if you're like a, a Conan O'Brien app, they, they actually um, have a team of people entering information before the show airs. Um, that's you know very specialized stuff, but there's a lot of things you can do without uh, having pre-authored things um, based on just the TV listing alone. And we actually have some good examples of that, which we could actually point you to after the. Right. After we the show we have a company wanted. that's an application development shop that's part of Grayson. It's called Gravity Mobile. They're here in San Francisco. They're awesome guys, and they've done live TV applications. And the tool chain they have allows you know live news show like you got the app here. Let's say it was sports, you know, like goal, score. The guy can push a button in the production studio, send a signal through our system with the fingerprints and have all that stuff end up in the application and like it goes score on the actual second screen app like a few seconds later or whatever. And so the idea of having a tool chain that lets you pre-produce time relative information that goes with the movie or goes with the TV program and you do all that stuff. You may mm -hmm. even have secret stuff that you're not showing because they don't see it. It's dependent on whether or not they, can, they were in the contest or they were on Facebook, they see some different stuff. So there's lots of ways to basically put the stuff into the application, get it there ahead of airtime and have it pop up and, and be part of it. And this is where all this exciting you know, stuff's going on. It's really, it's a, whole, it's a whole new business and a whole new world, which are these second screen applications. So two minutes, any other questions out there? Well, you okay. guys are all experts at recognition, media recognition. Media recognition. Okay, so um, I'm going to ask the nerdiest question I can possibly possibly ask Steve Sheriff. Why did you build a CD database? Because there was no ripping. Why did you do this? Because it was there. I, no, really, that's it. I, I'm actually not that into music. I, I like my music. <laughs> But I don't really care about it that much. Um, and uh, uh, I didn't actually use my own service until the year 2000 when I decided to finally get off CDs. Um, I did it because it was fun. Um, and uh, there, we had Microsoft Windows with the Windows Media Player, or back then, I don't know what they called it, uh, in the, the er, mid-90s. Mid um, 
and, and uh, it could actually kind of do this. You could type in the, the titles yourself for your own collection, and it would remember that next time you played the disc. There's nothing like that for Unix. And my partner, uh, T. Khan, we were, we were both Unix uh, developers. He really wanted a CD player for his workstation so he could listen to music while he worked. So he wrote his CD player application, but he didn't have the, the service. And he wanted somebody to do that, so he asked you me to like do it. You were like his office mate. And you were like the guy in the cube next door. Yeah, and you know, I, I did operating systems work. It was really fun and everything, but I liked the internet, and I wanted to do something with internet services. The internet. And it fell in my lap. It was the perfect thing. Um, so I did it for fun, basically. And it was a hobby for years and years, and it still is, actually. Well, why I did it was I was making enhanced CDs, and I had this idea that if you put a CD in a computer, it should tell you where on the internet the home for that CD is. It should take you to a URL automatically that would take you to the artist's website. And so I used his database to go, oh, it's Pearl Jam, and now we're going to go to Pearl Jam's webpage. You know? And that's what the software did. And the first player things that I worked on and stuff, we were, this is the kind of stuff that we were doing. And that seemed like a good idea. It turned out it was a really good idea. I think that's it. That's it. So anyways, the one thing I want to say is that what's coming up next, since I see Dave Rubin here. So some of you guys know that uh, I'm involved in live music, so I'm going to give a little plug here. Um, this band, Big Light, is a band that I work with. They're a San Francisco band. And a friend of mine, Dave Rubin, in the next session is, amazingly enough, uh, a movie about the San Francisco movie scene, uh, music scene that Dave and his co-producer have produced. They'll tell you more about it featuring Big Light. And uh, I'd love for you guys to stay and watch this. I think it's an incredible piece of work. Um, I'm really excited you're my first friend to make a film. Like, this is like a really big deal. So uh, thanks a lot for everybody, for Steve and us. Thanks for being in here. We really appreciate it.